Welcome to Follow to Lead, where we discover how to listen for and follow God's call so that we might lead others to God. Our shared stories of inspiration from religious leaders and those active in the educational ministry of the church can help you know better how God is calling you and the role passionate Catholic education plays in spreading His message of faith, hope, and love. Now please welcome the hosts of Follow to Lead, Father Randy Sly and Kyle Pietrantonio. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Christ the teacher teaches to listen, teaches to do the deep listening to the sounds of our soul, waiting to hear your voice calling us to cast out deeper, to become fishers of men and women, shepherds of souls, to follow your will in order to lead others to the truth, beauty, and goodness only you can offer. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, welcome to Follow to Lead, a journey twice a month into the world of Catholic education, exploring what it means to follow God in order to lead others to Him. I'm Father Randy Sly, your host. And today, we're turning the tables on my co-host, Kyle Pietrantonio, and we're going to be interviewing him today. So I'm looking forward to this. And Kyle, of course, is the executive director of Duke and Altum Schools Collaborative. And previously, he was head of school at Holy Spirit Prep in Atlanta, Georgia. He's also experienced as a high school principal and teacher in Catholic schools, was founding board member at Crystal Ray Atlanta Jesuit High School. And currently, uh, he serves as the vice chair of the Ignatian House Board of Directors and works as an executive search part of the Partners in Mission. So uh, Kyle's got a lot going on uh, these days. He's a graduate of Georgetown University uh, with a bachelor's degree, also an alumnus of University of Notre Dame's Alliance for Catholic Education, the ACE program, with a Master of Education in Secondary Education, and completed his uh, doctoral studies at the Catholic University of America in educational leadership and policy. So, Kyle, welcome to the program. Well, great to be on the other side of the table uh, today with you, Father Andy. Okay, well, it's really good for me to kind of dig in. You know, uh, we've known each other for a while, and we've been doing podcasts since last January, and I've picked up snippets here and there, but there's a lot about your background that I'm I'm not aware of, and so I'm going to be able to do a little bit of a deep dive into your world. So as normal, we usually give our guests an opportunity to tell about their background. Now, you currently live in Atlanta. Is that where you're originally from? No, it's not. I've been in Atlanta now coming up on 17 years, but I was born and, and raised up north just outside of Hartford, Connecticut. Oh, very good. And so how did you get from Connecticut to the South, to Atlanta? Yeah, I began my Southern migration in college where you know I went down uh, just below the Mason-Dixon line when I attended Georgetown University in our nation's capital. And after graduating from Georgetown, I decided to enroll in the University of Notre Dame's ACE program. And uh, for those of you who don't know much about the ACE program, it's kind of like a, a Peace Corps, Teach for America uh, type program exclusively for Catholic schools in, in the U.S. And, and like Peace Corps and TFA, 
you really don't have much say where you land. The university and the partnerships they have with archdioceses and dioceses around the country match the talents and backgrounds of, of their graduate students to the needs of the schools that they partner with. And so uh, there was a uh, really neat school in downtown Mobile, Alabama, who wanted a tall male teacher with a history <laughs> background. Uh -huh. And so I fit the bill and got my deployment down to Mobile, Alabama, which was my introduction to the South, deep South, and really fell in love with the warm weather and warm people and ultimately looked for my next teaching opportunity in warmer climates. And Atlanta came calling and uh, was there at, at that school uh, that you mentioned in the introduction, Holy Spirit Prep, for 16 years, the last seven of which was leading that school. Oh, very good. Now, I think there are other programs in other colleges similar to the ACE program. Isn't the Magis program in Creighton Correct. very similar to that? Yes. There's a number of replicas now at colleges and universities in higher ed that have similar programs to ACE. They're all under an umbrella called the UCCE, University Consortium for Catholic Education, ACE was kind of a, a trailblazing program, and, and now there are a number of, of Catholic colleges and universities that have comparable programs, often very regional in nature. ACE is kind of sweet spot. Uh, they're the largest, but they're the one that has the farthest reach geographically. Oh, very good. Okay. So you've served as a teacher, as a principal, as head of school. So was Catholic education your goal when you began undergraduate studies? No. <laughs> um, I would say Catholic education was a big part of my own upbringing and formation. Mm -hmm. My parents were high school sweethearts. They met at the same Catholic high school my brother and I graduated from. My dad's guidance counselor was my college guidance counselor. We shared some of the same teachers a generation later. And so it was a, a really big pillar in our family. Uh, mm -hmm. Growing up, my father served on the board of both our Catholic elementary advisory board and our Catholic high school, his alma mater. And so I, I just was surrounded by Catholic education growing up in that regard and didn't really know anything different until, you know, I went off to college and met students and friends from different, you know, backgrounds and formation experiences and and, you know, bonded actually with a lot of, of other classmates in college who were also brought up in the faith. And we got to know one another attending mass together. And even though they were from different Catholic prep schools around the country, we had that bond. And um, and so as I went through college, I mean, there was at one point I discerned a calling to the priesthood in my undergraduate years pretty seriously. So the faith always had a big role in my life, but I didn't know I wanted to to be a teacher uh, and to get into education. I share a, a fun story. I didn't know what I wanted to major in uh, when I went to college. One of the attractions to Georgetown was a real strong liberal arts core requirement for the first two years, having, you know, dapple in philosophy and theology and the social sciences and, and math and English. It was very rich, but in order to graduate on time, I got a letter spring of my sophomore year from the dean saying, all right, it's time to to bubble in the, the major if you want to walk in two years time. And uh, so I looked at my transcript and the classes I had taken, and there was a lot that I really liked in classics and medieval history and theology. And so I said, well, I'll just bubble in those. You know, I could do a double major based on the classes I've taken in classics and medieval studies, and I'll do a theology minor. And I remember calling home 
on that weekly phone call home one Sunday in the spring of my sophomore year and talked to my mom and I said, all right, mom, uh, you know, had to declare a major this week. And she said, that's great. Kyle, what'd you decide? I said, I'm going to do classics and medieval studies and a theology minor. And she goes, oh, that's wonderful. You love those uh, subject areas. You do well in those. Let me pass the phone off to your dad. <laughs> so my dad, a second generation business owner and, and very pragmatic, said, mom uh, mentioned you declared your major son, what'd you decide? And I said, I'm going to do classics, medieval studies and theology. And there was a pause on the other end of the line, followed by a shriek whistling sound, and then a crash. And the next thing I heard on the other end of the line was my mom's voice again. And she said, Kyle, are, are you still there? And I said, I am, mom, what happened to dad? I said, well, he just threw the phone across the room. We'll call you back in a little while. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and of course, you know, he was putting up a significant amount of resource for me to attend there. And and I could understand from his vantage point, you know, what am I going to do with classics, medieval studies and theology? And so about 10 minutes later, he called back. He said, I'm sorry, I got upset. But what the heck are you going to do with classics, medieval studies and theology? Yeah. And I already had my answer ready to go. But before I had a chance to respond, he said, are you going to become a priest? And I said, you know, I'm not sure. I don't think so. But dad, don't worry. Classics majors have the highest LSAT average of any undergraduate major. So I'm going to study for the LSAT and apply to law school. And that bought me two years of time. I ended up applying to law school, but I really had no desire of going to law school. Yeah. Oh, that's uh, but it bought me. It bought me a couple more years of discernment to figure out, you know, where God was calling me. And during those two years, I had some really unique opportunities to teach in inner city, D.C., in some of the toughest neighborhoods in our country. Uh -huh. And I've got many a story. In fact, I taught on Wiley Street in Northeast D.C., which the year prior to my teaching there was labeled the most violent city street block in the United States of America. My parents were thrilled I was teaching there. But I saw there so much. I saw gross inequity. I saw the transformational power of teaching mm -hmm. and what a great equalizer, good education and access to good teachers can be. I saw this was a school that was rooted in, in faith and, and the Bible. It was non-denominational, but I saw the power of faith and a belief in a higher power in young people and what that can do to them in terms of galvanizing them and reaching their potential. Mm -hmm. And so that those were seeds really sown during my my time in college about what ended up being, you know, my my career, my vocation in education. So did you go right on to graduate school at Notre Dame then? I did. I kind of went into a little bit of a dark period the fall of my senior year. The economy was doing really well. All of my friends and classmates were getting wonderful offers on Wall Street, accepted into med school and good law schools and consulting jobs, paying six figures. And I just thought, gosh, none of that appeals to me. What do I want to do? And, and I went back to you know some of those, these experiences I had in teaching in inner city DC. And I thought, well, what do I want to accomplish in my 20s? Let's look at it that way. And I said, there were three things I wanted to do in my 20s. One, I wanted to try my hand at teaching full-time, be a classroom teacher full-time somewhere. I wanted to go to graduate school and further my own education, and I wanted to still have service work and reaching to the margins be a part of, of my extracurricular life. 
And it was actually through Providence that I learned about the ACE program. And it wove all three of those kind of goals I had for myself in my 20s mm-hmm. into a two-year program. And that's what I did right after college. Well, that's interesting. And that led, of course, a trajectory into quite a career in, in Catholic education in a variety of ways. Over those years, what do you see as the greatest professional challenge that you had to face? Uh, I mean, there were several. I mean, when I started teaching in Mobile, Alabama, I taught at a historically black school that's still around. Unfortunately, it's hanging by a thread in terms of of its existence. And we need to pray for Most Pure Heart of Mary. And it's a beautiful school, mission school founded in 1902. During the last 120 years has served black children in downtown Mobile. And it has some wonderful storied alum who have gone on to great civic and ecclesial leadership in Mobile and in South Alabama. And um, I started there and I was coming off a, a summer vacation uh, right before I started. So I had a little, a little tan going. And honest to God truth, my middle school students did not know I was a white male until about a month into the school year when my tan faded. And they could not reconcile, Father Randy, a white male investing in their community. And when they learned I was a white male, they wanted to call me Father P. Because the only other white male they had seen invest in their community was the priest. And that was just eye-opening on so many levels. And we know there's these pockets of segregation in our country to this day. And intrinsic in that were so many challenges, both for me professionally as an educator, um, serving a population that had such a vastly different background and upbringing than my own, and trying to find common ground. And there were beautiful small miracles in my two years of teaching there, Uh, but it wasn't without hardship and some trials and and challenges, but it was tremendously fortifying uh, and formative experience for me. So that, that would be among them. And my fellow ACE teachers will say the same. I mean, they were both the two most beautiful years of, of my professional career consecutively, but the two most challenging years of my career consecutively. And the, the peaks were really beautiful peaks and the valleys were really challenging valleys. As I went on professionally and got more involved in school leadership and decision-making at higher levels, I would say, you know, the hardships, you know, always were around personnel decisions. You know, the hirings, the firings, you know, those, I always say the who question in in education and and really leadership at large is the most important question we can ask. And it's a very challenging question. It requires a lot of time and discernment. There were some hires that were rushed, that were mistakes. There were some folks that, you know, we would hang on to too long because of our kind of charity getting in the way sometimes of doing what's best for the institution at large. So it's, it's tough in a Catholic milieu and context to navigate sometimes personnel decisions and, and things. So those would be some other, other pieces to that. Yeah. I think one of the things that's a real challenge there is there is a person in the who, and so it isn't just the who as a position, but there's a person you're affecting their life. They're affecting yours. And it really does make for some huge challenges. 
Most definitely. And in a school community, oftentimes, you know, with adults who have school age children who are in your community, it gets really intertwined. And these are tough, tough decisions to navigate when the adult decision related to personnel is is not the right one or not going well and not coachable. Those are challenging, very challenging. You know, you lose a lot of sleep thinking about the right way to navigate those in a Catholic context. So in that kind of a context, I think one of the things that that we often need to look toward is how is that person being formed in their faith and how are they expressing faith to the students in their classrooms? Did you reach any ahas as an administrator in terms of ways that a school needed to approach the faith formation of faculty? Yes, numerous ahas. And this is an area that I like to spend a lot of time in. I, I think it's it's the most critical lever to achieve mission as a Catholic school are the men and women in front of the students, working side by side with the students. I mean, that is where the rubber hits the road. And, right. you know, I like to think of it in a couple of different perspectives. One is an input perspective. So when you have vacancies, how are you canvassing the country? to find the right mission-aligned talent pool that you can court for that role. And, and really, you know, thinking with mission first. Right. And this can be challenging, particularly in, I think, high school arenas where you do want subject matter expertise. Yes, right. that is important. Mm-hmm. You need your geometry teacher to know how to teach geometry. However, I truly believe in a mission-first Catholic school, you have got to have a person whose heart is on fire for Christ. That is what they are going to be spilling out to the students by their witness. And if they don't have that tank full or the capacity to grow that tank, it's a misfire. And, And you get collateral damage. You don't get actualization of mission. And it can wreak havoc depending on on how many of those you know, prototypes of, of folks you have in your, your faculty and staff. The second prong, I think, you know, Father Randy, is the formation piece. And, mm-hmm. I, and this is one of the reasons why DIA was formed. Our schools need to start doing the work of parishes, frankly. You know, we're largely in an unchurched America, and especially in our Catholic high schools. These become the communions for everyone. Right. Mm -hmm. This is where faculty and staff show up every day to work. We have them. They're a captive audience. Sometimes they're not going to church on Sunday. Well, while they're with us, what are we doing to inspire their faith Mm -hmm. so that they perhaps can start going to church on Sundays if they're not yet there, which we hope they 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 get there. Right. But our coaches are everyone who touches our community. We have this this captive opportunity to walk with them in faith. And to think about how we're inspiring them. Yes, our students are front and center of our mission, and that needs to be the guiding light for our schools. But I think we're called to do more now, and particularly with, with our faculty, many of whom, once you start, and we've seen this time and time again, once you start journeying with your faculty apostolically, beautiful fruit starts to be born. And I've seen so many wonderful reversions, conversions, Goosebump good stuff when a school makes an intentional effort to say, 
we're going to invest in your faith journey. Mm -hmm. And do you find that teachers coming out of, say, their undergraduate or their graduate programs that are formed in Catholic schools, are they coming out better formed in their faith? Or is it still, do you think, a challenge to kind of ramp them up to where they really need to be to fulfill this mission? Yeah, I think coming out of some of those programs, you have a little bit of a head start. You can start in a, a little bit of a later inning, generally speaking. You know, we were successful and continue to be successful, I think, at Holy Spirit Prep in forming some good alliances and bridges with some really strong feeder programs. I think most recently of what Dr. Linden Kugel, my successor there, is doing out of the Catholic Center at Georgia Tech. The Catholic Center at Georgia Tech right now is just on fire. They've had two tremendously dynamic chaplains there in the last, call it, 10 years. And the place, we were just there yesterday at, for Mass. I mean, it's, it's standing room only. And these are faithful, fervent, smart young people who want to serve the Lord. And wow. gosh, if you can find some of those local gold mines, you can transform your culture. So it isn't just going to say the Catholic colleges, but there's some amazing uh, Newman centers and other centers at state universities that are really able to help us bridge the gap to provide faith-filled teachers into the classrooms. Most definitely. Yes. Um, I want to say the majority of the hires last spring at Holy Spirit Prep were Georgia Tech alum who came out of the Catholic Center there and wow. knew what Holy Spirit Prep is doing. And they said, we want to be a part of that mission. Wow. That's, that is exciting to hear because that does broaden the options of where to search, where to look for the qualities that we want to see in the teachers that were, were being placed in the classrooms. Yes. And, and what happens oftentimes when, when you're able to kind of build some of those bridges to some of those feeder programs is just a beautiful congruence of culture and value and folks, you know, singing from the same song sheet in the hymnal. And then when you have that as your foundation, boy, the heavy lifting stuff can happen a lot more easily, you know? Now, one of the things you talked about is that this whole thing of faith formation really is kind of one of the key components to the Duke and Altam Schools Collaborative. And I know in 2020, you were named as the executive director of DIA. Can you give us a little bit of a genesis of the group? Sure, sure. So it's a great genesis story and, and God's grace, you know, had a role in it for sure. When I was asked to serve as the head of Holy Spirit Prep back in March of 2013, I remember getting kind of a report card of the school, you know, Kyle, here's how we think based on the board's perspective and some metrics, you know, the school is doing in all these different domains, you know, and one of the domains was Catholic identity and Catholic culture. And they said, you know, Kyle, we think we're doing okay. A minus, we're going to say they're tough graders. You know, I thought we were doing really well. They said A minus, but we want in the next two years to take us to an A minus to an A or A plus and not lose sight of this domain. This is the domain that feeds everything else for hmm. us. And so there was a board really bought in to the school's foundational principle of a real strong Catholic culture and identity. 
and not losing sight of it, always wanting continuous growth and improvement relative to it, like any good accrediting body wants. And so I was like, this is good. I mean, it's a good starting point. But how do we improve upon this? You know, I already know what the local players do in, in regards to Catholic culture and identity. And we were doing, you know, a lot more just based on having more dedicated chaplains. And, and we just put more resources around our calendar and scheduling things related to faith. So I, I was hard pressed. And I said, you know what, I need to canvas the country to look at Catholic schools all over that really are doing some innovative things with faith and putting it front and center and having some candid conversations about it. And, and that took me to looking at many schools, websites and mission statements and philosophies of ed, reaching out to school leaders, talking to them. And fast forward a few months and a handful of us uh, that became the founding board of, of DIA said, we all need to convene somewhere in the middle of the country and talk about our schools and let's learn and grow from one another. And uh, Father Paul Casca, our chaplain of DIA, he was the chaplain of one of our founding high schools in Denver at the time. And he said, let me talk to Archbishop Aquila. He hosted us at the Chancery for a couple of days. And we kind of had a white morning planning retreat. And out of that came so much inspiration that we brought back to our own institutions to strengthen Catholic culture and faculty formation and, and even alumni formation. I mean, we were thinking about this very, very holistically. And we thought, there's something to this. Let's not hide it under our own institution's bushel basket. How can we be a part of the new evangelization? There are other schools, other dioceses, other bishops that want what we're doing for their schools, but don't know where to start or whom to talk to. Mm -hmm. And so we said, let's put together a summit. Let's put together a two and a half day experience where the Catholic school leadership teams that are interested in this model and these resources and kind of networking and brainstorming with faith formation at the crux of it can come together. And we'll bring in some, let's get some philanthropy behind us. We'll bring in some just high level speakers just about the Catholic church. Like we want to stimulate intellectually our leaders about what our church is about, what we're facing, mm -hmm. because it all trickles down. I mean, what right. the Catholic church is facing at 30,000 feet, that affects us. And it's starting to affect us more quickly in the classrooms, right? Our, I mean, so our leaders need to be fed intellectually about what our church is facing and up against so they right. can be armed to combat it. And they need to be spiritually fed. I mean, this is something corporate America has gotten a hold of the past few years, all about self-care. Well, for us as Catholic school leaders, we need to nourish ourselves spiritually. Mm -hmm. And that comes with fellowship of like-minded leaders who, oh gosh, I'm not an island. I can call on Father Randy in Lee Summit, Missouri, or Andy Talicki in Lenexa, Kansas, or Todd Flanders up in the Twin Cities of Minnesota and say, I'm dealing with this issue. Have you dealt with it? And so that has grown into a listserv now for DIA, where these leaders right. can collaborate on challenging topics. It's, we, we still have kept the summit. We're, we'll have our seventh annual one this October in Nashville, and that's ballooned into a really neat two and a half day experience. 
And then, yeah, lots of other benefits now as, as the organization has pivoted this past year to a membership-based platform, which was you know a, a request we were hearing from the attendees at the summit every year. We want more. How can we plug in? How can we get more of this uh, during the school year? You know, I, I remember coming to my first DIA summit was in 2018 at St. James Academy in Lenexa. And, you know, I, I went to a workshop. In fact, you were one of the uh, panelists. It was a workshop of presidents. In fact, I spent, I think, the first several minutes of the class making sure I spelled your name correctly on my notes. <laughs> uh, but anyway, after that class, I remember going up to Andy Talicki and I, I go, where can I sign up? Right. This is so good. This is exactly what we've been looking for. And I, I, I heard the same thing. The teachers that were with me said the same thing. Uh, I mean, there's so many different Catholic education groups out there. What do you think is drawing people to the distinctives here that DIA provides? Yeah, I mean, I, I think we've hit a market niche for sure. <laughs> I mean, we we opened up the membership funnel a year ago, last September, and nearly 30 schools signed on. And we'll probably hit, you know, 45 this school year. Our challenge is going to be, what is the right size for DIA? Because right. part of us, and, and if you've attended the summit, there's a fellowship experience, you know, and, and it's part of like the small school advantage we touted at Holy Spirit Prep, where you can leverage a boatload of social capital because as the leader, I knew everyone. Mm -hmm. And by the time the last, you know, the fourth or fifth child from a family graduated, I will have known those parents 20 years plus. And the same with DIA, you know, you get repeat attendees at the summit now year to year. And there's just almost this fraternity that forms among these leaders that you can feel very vulnerable and comfortable talking and you can pick up in the seventh inning with topics because you have a cadence of communication with these people. Right. Mm -hmm. And so I think the size and the intimacy and the fellowship are hallmarks of the organization. I also think from the get-go, we have found leaders that are willing, as the as our name suggests, who are willing to cast out in the deep. What we're asking schools to do when they commit to DIA is reimagine the paradigm of their school. I mean, right. in the sense that think of school as parish. You are the center of community and faith for many of your families. And, and understanding that now, what are you going to do differently? Right. And that requires reimagination, entrepreneurship, risk-taking, a strong sense of self and a leap of faith and a sense that that we're doing this for the greater church. Our church needs a stronger Catholic school. What are we going to do about it? So, you know, that's the thread that ties a lot of the people that that are in DIA together is th this is bigger than us. We need each other to do it. And, you know, it's for God. I mean, it's to yeah. help build his kingdom here. And do you, do you find that there are schools that will come and then they'll look at it and go, yeah, I like some of the stuff, but this just isn't for me. I mean, it's, there is kind of, like you said, it's a niche that you're finding. Yeah. And like I said, you don't have to be a member to take advantage of our programming, you know, so we've right. had schools and teams plug in to different things and they get what they need and, and then maybe they'll come back for more and, and maybe they'll become a member as they, you know, slowly ramp up some programming and ideas. But yeah, it's not for everyone, for sure. I mean, yeah. it takes the commitment of the leader 
of the school or the diocese. We're, we're seeing now more superintendents plug into our programming, which is exciting because that's where we're going to start moving the needle Yeah, is uh, getting bishops and superintendents. And we've gotten some great Episcopal endorsements uh, since we started. And so we're excited. You know, we, we hope at the Bishops Conference in November, Catholic education makes the agenda. I understand it hasn't made the USCCB agenda since 2004. And so there's a lot of work that needs to happen in K-12 Catholic ed. And we're here. We're ready. Okay. And then with the summit coming up, it's going to be like in a couple of weeks. Is it still possible for people to register and come? Oh, most definitely. Yes. Go on to diaschools.org. You'll see under the events tab, the summit and a link to register there. Prices escalate depending on on where we are in the registration season. So I think we're at the mid-tier level right now. So don't wait. (laughs) Uh, Register if you haven't. We're likely looking at a a sellout based on, you know, St. Cecilia Academy, our host school's capacity. They ended up closing school for the event Thursday and Friday for us, which is a great gift. But it also allowed, you know, some of their faculty who want to plug into our programming, which is a great value uh, to them. So, yeah, uh, register. It's going to be a wonderful location in Nashville this year. And we've got some amazing people coming as far as speakers. Most definitely. Yeah. I'm very excited about the breakouts, the plenary speakers this year, Bishop Daly, uh, the recently elected chair of committee on Catholic education, whom we interviewed earlier in the season. Father Randy on this program has agreed to come down from Spokane, uh, Washington to be with us to open the summit uh, with mass and also deliver our, our opening evening keynote. And if you haven't listened to his podcast, He's the right man for the job, and I'm excited to hear what he's going to bring to our attendees uh, in October. So with the summit and all of that taking place, what do you see in the horizon? What's on the horizon for DIA? Yeah, we're working on some bigger projects kind of behind the scenes a bit, you know, Father Rand. I mean, one is, you know, certainly to figure out, you know, our membership model and our number as, as that program, you know, has just gotten off the ground, wanting to, to steward those relationships. Well, that is obviously a priority beyond that. A couple of the things that we're looking at include thinking about Catholic young people formation outside of the typical like K eight, nine, 12, then college, and kind of starting to think more of this longer runway that our families have really from the birth of their first child until these young people are are in and through college. And I say that because DIA, since its early days, has been a very effective in bridging with some great Catholic institutions of higher ed. I think of of uh, Benedictine, uh, one of our kind of founding partners, awesome support. Steve Minnis is on our advisory board. I, I think of uh, Franciscan University and Father Dave and, and his support. And really starting to think about how we might build, you know, a better bridge and pipeline baton passing, particularly as the kids grow from high school into college and the role DIA can play in a more effective kind of tossing of the baton in that relay race, because we all know that's where our young people really get hung up. And so leveraging some of the strong 
alum and graduates of our DIA schools who are in both secular and Catholic colleges studying, but have many gifts, starting to think programmatically and strategically about how we might be able to leverage these gifts, these young people, into some near-peer mentoring models and programmings back into our partner schools, whether that's a K-8 or a 9-12 or a K-12, thinking about some bridging opportunities. And this could take a few different shapes and forms as, as we go, but we've got some kind of study and, and, and deeper conversations uh, with some stakeholders this fall related to, to this larger project. And, and we'll have to see where it all goes. It sounds to me like this, it could be a component of a larger view of discipleship throughout the whole church. You know, again, looking at the, the family as the first teachers, Yes. how does that move into Catholic education more formally? Instead of being a handoff, how can they walk alongside and bring strength in the home that parallels what's going on in the classroom? Are those the kinds of things yep. you're thinking about? Very much so. Yeah. So that's kind of one strategic area that we're diving into a bit. I'd say the other, Father Randy, deals with your earlier question on, on faculty formation and aspiring leader formation. There's just a dearth of programs and, frankly, people interested in aspiring to lead our Catholic schools. The nuncio to the U.S. said there are more priests turning down bishop appointments and asks for the first time in the history of the U.S. today. Yeah. It's because the job has gotten so challenging. Every year, there's a new issue du jour, COVID right. aside, that these leaders are being tasked and have no training to figure out. It could be the Black Lives Movement. It could be transgenderism. You know, you name it, the Catholic leader is put out there and said, figure it out. Yeah. And there's a dearth of, of resources and training uh, and, and programs for our leaders currently and those that want to step into leadership to, to learn how to do it in a Catholic context with support. And, and so that's another programmatic area that, you know, we're looking at reaching. You know, the, I could really see the, the value of a president's boot camp for example. Exactly. Uh, because, you know, you can learn about development and advancement. You can learn about enrollment management. You can learn about HR, financial issues, all of that. But how do you deal with the parent issues that come in and, and hit you out of left field? Yep. What do you do with the things that happen within the home that affect the student in the classroom and how to navigate the school through some of that. Yeah. And, and those are things that are not usually covered in the normal leadership curricula that's available yeah. through education. Yeah, exactly. And the good news is, Father Randy, I mean, some of our secular counterparts have been successful in some of these types of programs. I went mm -hmm. through a, a secular one back in the summer of 2013 before my first full year as head. It was tremendously helpful. It was an intense seven-day boot camp experience, but it was entirely secular. Right. You know, our posture is we ought to be doing that plus. Right. We ought to be doing that but also with a Catholic context and milieu and, and foundation 
and attacking and addressing some of these other issues that are coming across our leaders' desks that need a Catholic response. Mm-hmm. And frankly, our leaders, you know, are very desirous of that type of, of toolkit. And then, you know, we've got to form aspiring leaders too. Otherwise, you know, we're going to have bigger, bigger issues with leaders lacking skills, trying to lead schools that Mm -hmm. get more challenging to lead every year. Absolutely. Yeah, I think that, uh, again, being prepared for the job ahead of time, or at least in the early stages would be maybe one way that would alleviate some of the anxieties that people would have. I don't know if I want to become an administrator and move into that role. Yeah. And and we, we started a, a fellowship through DIA last year. Uh, many of these, I mean, it wasn't labeled an aspiring Catholic school president or Catholic heads of school fellowship, but many of these fellows are folks that have so many great gifts to to lead a school uh, now mm-hmm. or down the road if if they so desire, and so you know we're also brainstorming you know potentially you know ramping and and evolving that fellowship program to serve that niche, and so that's exciting as well. And I know that DIA also has a jobs board, so that True. if somebody desires to look for someone to be an administrator of their school who has this faith formation vision that they can actually look on that jobs board or post on that jobs board. Exactly. Yes. It's a great benefit. And we know folks, you know, use it to get a lot of hits, you know, it's active and, and, and we just updated our website in the, in recent months. And so I think as we get into a season of hiring, anytime there's a new update to the job board, our members will get a blast, you know, that day with the the new posting. So they'll have a, it'll have a dynamic quality to it, which we're excited about as well. That is really, I think, going to be an aid both to teachers and administrators looking for work, but schools looking for the right resources as well. Now, earlier in the program, you talked about a new paradigm and, and the need to do all of those things. Well, there are people on our that listen to our program that perhaps are already administrators in a school, and they're wondering, where is my school in terms of its faith formation mm-hmm. score, let's say? Because you talked about at uh, Holy Spirit Prep, about an A minus. What, you know, what criteria, what would you say to an administrator who wants to kind of know the score of where his school stands or her school stands sure. in faith formation? Well, I'll first say we do a lot of this Catholic culture assessment work. So if there's a, a school listening, a leader listening who who wants to understand a baseline of where their school is in that regard, please reach out. Uh, we have a bullpen of folks that can do site visits and, and look at a number of kind of due diligence items that, that we would put into kind of a scorecard to kind of get in a, a baseline sense of where school is that would then inform some really actionable recommendations to grow the Catholic culture of their school. Okay. You know, simply put, Father Randy, it, it's where schools focus to resources, time and money. Mm-hmm. And you can learn a lot about an organization on looking at their calendar and basically color coding their events. And how much time, if you look at all of the different events that make up a a vibrant school, how much of it is really faith-oriented? 
And we hope that sports are not just physically formative, obviously, but we also want to make sure that they're faith formative. Right. Mm-hmm. And so we would even parse that out. But just the sacramental life of the school, how vibrant is that on your calendar? What does that look mm-hmm. like? How much time are you devoting to to retreat both your students and your faculty separately? Mm-hmm. You know, how much time and, and depending on how far the school wants to go, the formation of advisory board members or board governing board. Right. Members, right. Um, on that topic. And so you can learn a lot about a school and its priorities by doing a deep dive and their calendar. Mm-hmm. That That's a good point. And the second allocation of resources is money, right? Mm-hmm. And dollars and really looking at a budget, kind of a, a cost accounting and just understanding, you know, what that pie chart, what their portfolio looks like, where are they putting their resources and, and could they pivot, divert resources on the faith side without sacrificing mission I would say you wouldn't sacrifice mission. Your mission as a Catholic school gets stronger if you double down on the faith piece. We used to have this discussion um, at at Holy Spirit Prep. We had a good budget item for students' faith experiences. I mean, their retreat um, offerings. I mean, we had two full-time chaplains. We had two religious women for a relatively small school. But we said, you couldn't almost put a price on that. I mean, having two priests fully devoted to a Catholic school, it's rare these days, but we were committed as a school to making that happen. And what a powerful ingredient when you can have priests hearing confession throughout the day because a kid messed up and built a relationship and a rapport with one of the chaplains to go to confession. I mean, that, what a gift. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And a habit of formation that's going to shape that young person for the rest of his or her life. Not to mention, you know, a reverence and a respect for the Mass and the Eucharist uh, that comes with a regular, vibrant, sacramental life as a school. So, you know, th- those are just some things. And we've worked with schools getting creative. You know, we don't have a chaplain. We have a priest shortage. You know, we've got a Whoever raises his hand is who gets to come to the monthly mass. And well, there's ways to kind of really get creative uh, with having more regular priest presence on your campus. And I'll say that will change. That will change the culture of your school. I I couldn't agree more. Of course, being a priest and (laughs) president of a high school, I I was kind of there, you know, Uh, but, but we have an additional priest. That's also the chaplain so that I'm, not seen as the chaplain, but I still can form a lot of priestly functions there at the school. You know, you talked about pivoting. One of the things that that occurred to me, for example, at at St. Michael, a couple of years ago, a group of students came and said, we want to do a monthly encounter with praise and worship and praying for each other and confessions and a witness talk and all of this. And, you know, it would have been really easy to say, look, we've set our calendar for the year. Mm-hmm. We don't have any more room, but we pivoted yep. and we connected onto the, the motivation and the, the heartbeat of these students that wanted to do this because the student ownership of it was amazing. And it's become one of our strongest monthly events. And we have to move some things around and sometimes it has to move for sports or whatever. 
but we don't miss a beat that every month now that this is something. And if we had introduced that, it may not have gone anywhere, but it was the students who wanted this to be a part of their faith formation. That's awesome. Yeah. And, and listening to students and understanding, you know, their hopes and dreams and desires and inculcating that faith. I mean, that's a beautiful thing. It gives them some ownership over it and, and it'll bear fruit. I mean, that's what a blessing. Absolutely. Well, you know, there's a question that you and I ask almost every episode, and I'm going to turn it on you. And that is, uh, you know, you're, you're in the trenches in Catholic education. Uh, you're doing consulting work with partners in mission. What do you see right now as the greatest need for Catholic school teachers today? I would say accompaniment. If I could boil it down to one word, Father Randy, it would be our Catholic school faculty and teachers need accompaniment. And to unpack that a bit, you know, going back to kind of the theme of our conversation today, you know, our faculty members are coming in at a various milestones on their apostolic journey. And I think as a Catholic school, as a community, they're a part of that. And we need to be ready to minister to them. And if we can't minister to them, help them get to a place where they can be fed and ministered. And we've seen just unbelievable miracles when we as a school did this intentionally with various mm -hmm. staff members over the years who had all sorts of tremendous crises. And what the school did for these people saved their lives in, in, in many respects. Mm -hmm. I mean, what other place of employment has that privilege and opportunity to accompany and walk with your teachers? It's very powerful. It requires a different type of thinking, I think, but that's what they need. Their job is getting more challenging. These, these right. young people coming into our school campuses and, and classrooms and buildings are being exposed to more than we ever could have imagined. And these are very challenging topics that our young people are, are getting exposed to. And they're growing up fast. Um, it's just the nature of the reality we are in. And our teachers need to be supported to help these young people face these really daunting challenges and questions that they rightfully ought to have as young right. people. It's no fault to their own that they're getting exposed to some brutal realities in our secular world, but we need to, to love them, to walk with them. And in order to accompany the students, we as school leaders need to accompany our teachers. What about uh, administrators? You know, uh, these are the leaders in the trenches that are trying to accompany, trying to do this, yep. trying to do that. What counsel or advice do you have for them? Again, a question we ask a lot. Sure. Well, I, keep a, a strong prayer life. I mean, I would say if you are a Catholic school leader, if you can build in time, block time in your calendar, to get to daily mass, I think that will be such powerful spiritual nourishment needed today to, to actually lead a Catholic school or any Catholic ministry, frankly. We're being attacked every day. The devil is hard at work right now. 
And we need, we need Christ. We need the Eucharist more than ever as leaders of Catholic apostolates and ministries today. And that includes our Catholic school presidents. And so I would say, block it in your calendar, whether it's getting up a little earlier or blocking, if you can find a, a lunchtime mass somewhere or an evening mass, if, if you can manage that. But I'd say daily mass. Um, I mean, it's 20, maybe 30 minutes, but it's, it's medicine. And right now our Catholic school leaders need medicine mm-hmm. with the ailments of this progressive world that uh, we're challenged by and fellowship. I mean, you know, it, it, it's, it gets lonely at the top, as we all know, you know, Father Randy, and that's in part one of the things DIA set out to do. It was, it was a tremendous support of me with our founding board. I mean, unbelievable support. And, and I would just say, plug into a, a collegial group of like-minded people that, it, that you can find support mm-hmm. with, and that, that will be healthy and, and productive. Yeah, it's interesting that not too long ago, I was <clears throat> needing to make a decision on some of our planning for the future. And one of the things I was able to do is to immediately contact, uh, well, you and a lot of the other presidents that were a part of DIA that I had grown in a, a relationship with and to ask them, what are you doing there? You know, can you help me try to figure out what I need to do here? Yep. And it may not be the exact same thing, but how can, how, how can I learn from what you're doing that might be helpful. And boy, that it, it's nice to know you're not alone. Oh, it's so, um, there's such solidarity in knowing you're not alone. And, and with solidarity comes this, okay, I can manage this. Um, right. Other people are with me or other people have faced this that I can lean on. There's such solidarity and strength that comes with fellowship and camaraderie and friendship, really. I mean, we need to be friends in this work. I mean, we need to find joy in this. It is hard, yes. Right. But when we can lean on each other and j- joke and laugh, and and we all have these great stories when you're in the school world, right? I mean, that's that's food for their soul. And that's that, that fellowship is, is really a big part of that. Well, Kyle, thank you so much for letting us kind of dig into your life. This is kind of, again, turning the tables on how you normally are here on uh, Follow to Lead, but this has been really rich. And I think that it will also help our listeners, our viewers to kind of get a a feel into the world of what Duke and Ultim is all about and how it can function as a part of a life source for, for many of us that are in the trenches day by day in Catholic education. So again, Kyle, thank you so much for doing this today. Oh, it's been a true pleasure, Father Andy, and it's been awesome, you know, working with you over these past several months on this on this show, and it's been a great godsend. Well, uh, to our listeners and our viewers, if you haven't done it already, please be sure to subscribe to the podcast and to also leave a comment and help to encourage us on uh, the future of what you would want us to talk about in uh, some of our programming and may Almighty God bless you. Amen. We'd like to thank you for joining us on this episode of Follow to Lead, a production of the Duke and Altum Schools Collaborative. To learn more about finding your own path in your journey of faith or for more information on what we discussed in today's episode, you are invited to follow us on social media and visit us on the web at diaschools.org. To provide a one-time donation or monthly pledge, please visit our website, 
Your gift will aid us in providing up-to-date information, additional resources, and other support on how to take Catholic education to a higher level. We look forward to helping you follow God's call to lead others to God right here on Follow to Lead.